Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, another amazing guest. I'm interviewing Wendy Baker. Now, I want to set the scene a little bit for this one, and it's it's not something I normally do, but let's let's go back to uh, let's go back to 1969. And in 1969, a restaurant called the Source Restaurant opened up in Hollywood. Now, this restaurant attracted all the big names. I mean, everyone who was anyone, from movie stars to musicians, all of your favorites from that time period. We're checking out the Source Restaurant, and the Source Restaurant was a was a vegetarian restaurant, and it was ran by a na- man named Jim Baker, and it was a it was a happening place. A lot of movie stars were going there, a lot of singers were going there, and then a lot of younger kids in the area were going there too. And the reason they were going there is because Jim Baker, this six foot five, charismatic guy was starting upstairs to kind of give a little bit of a a, a teaching, if you would. And what transpired there is what we're going to talk about with my guest today, Wendy Baker. What started happening was something called the Source Family was created. Now, there's a lot of talk on whether the Source Family, was this a cult? Was this just a commune? We're going to talk about that. We're going to kind of dive into that. Um, But what it was was definitely a collection of of people of course it kind of started out with young people but then it branched out and and people from all walks of life from attorneys to doctors to bankers all started joining this this commune and what happened was uh, quite the journey wendy is going to tell you about that shortly after it began wendy joined the the commune at 14 years old she was kind of from a, a broken home she had a mother who worked a lot she was out of the home and she started being drawn to uh this this place she, she started working at the restaurant she met jim baker's son bart who is going to play a, a, an interesting part in this in this story as well uh, but we're going to follow her through her time in the source family she started in california where everyone started at this restaurant they then moved to Hawaii, they moved back to California, they moved back to Hawaii. It was quite the quite the ordeal, but it's a rare look at seeing what it looked like to live in some of these things. Of course we, we know about all of these different communes, all these different cults that happened in the in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties. Uh, but I, I rarely get to hear somebody from inside give a real look at what it looked like. Uh, Jim Baker became Father Yo, then he became Yehoa. I'm sure I'm saying some of those names incorrectly, but uh, you're going to hear that these names change a lot. This book that she wrote, My Name Was Mushroom. Her name at one point was Mushroom. It was uh, it was several other things. She's going to tell you that. I've, I've forgotten them now. Um, but it, it was just a it was a fascinating conversation. Um, there's actually a, a documentary about uh, this family. It's called the Source Family. Easy enough. Uh, it was it was created by a, a member of of the family, a member of the commune. Um, 
spoiler alert, Jim Baker back uh, in in the uh, in the early days in the '70s actually passed away, and we're going to get to to how that happened. It, it's kind of a how it happened is 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 kind of interesting because it really deals with his own teachings is the reason that maybe he didn't survive. So interesting there. It was a, this is a real look. I, I think Wendy still looks at this as a, as a positive experience, but realizes the negatives as well. So there's so many cults out there that, of course, is, is mostly negative. There's a lot of, there's a charismatic leader that's leading people to do some very harmful things. Um, we're going to explore whether Jim Baker was one of those. We're, like I, I mentioned already, we're going to explore whether this was, a cult or whether it was just a commune um I, I'll, I'll leave that up to you when, when you listen to to wendy but wendy was an amazing person um to speak with all about this i read her book um, i urge you to check out her book i will tell you that i think that we kind of give the the highlights kind of the view of, of her life during the 70s in in the source family from a you know from a uh, above angle we kind of dip into different areas because i did read that book urge you to check it out um i think that this will be a this interview will be a great supplement to checking out the book but i also conducted it in a way that if you don't want to read the book or you're not going to uh to be able to pick it up that you're still going to be able to understand this and you're going to really enjoy kind of learning more about you know, growing up, uh, really growing up in a commune. Um, she did a lot of growing up in that commune. She actually, at the age of 16, got pregnant uh, in the commune and, and what that was like. Uh, it, was a, it was a fascinating tale. Um, I, I really, really appreciated Wendy's time. I don't want to take up too much more time here because you're in for an uh, amazing week, an amazing interview. So without further ado, here is Wendy Baker. I'm here today with Wendy Baker. Ms. Baker, how are you? I'm fine. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you agreeing to join me. If you would, just introduce yourself. Well, my name's Wendy Baker. was also known as Mushroom in the Source Family Commune. And I'm here to talk about my book. Yeah. And, and there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. I have checked out your book. Amazing. Um, and I want to kind of just start at the basic level. I never expect anyone listening to to have much knowledge about anything that I'm going to talk about. So let's kind of start with, you've already talked about how your name was something different because you were in something called the Source Family. This is a tall task right out the gate, but explain to people what the Source Family was. Well, it was really called the Brotherhood of the Source. Hmm. But in short, we called it the Source Family. And basically, it was a commune that was created by Jim Baker who owned the Source restaurant in West Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard, at the corner of Sweetser and Sunset. It was a very famous and popular vegetarian restaurant. A lot of, it attracted a lot of celebrities, musicians, and it attracted a lot of young people um, who were exploring nutrition and health and you know, a new way of living. So that's basically what the Source family was. Um, you know, we started off really small, and then it grew to about, on average, between 140 and 200 people at a time. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I mean, the, the start, like you said, in a series of restaurants, I guess, in, in Hollywood with a lot of a lot of kind of heavy players that were in those restaurants. I know that's kind of how you got your start in 
I mean, really kind of a job, but then also moving into kind of joining the the family. Kind of talk a little bit about how your start in it was, because I don't feel like it's super different than others that I've I've kind of read about when it comes to these type of communes where you kind of came from, I guess, a lack of a better word, a little bit of a, a broken home and you were looking for, I guess, some guidance, correct? Well, that that is part of it. But originally, I was introduced to Jim Baker by his son, Bart Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his father. And we before he we became a family, a commune, he was just, you know, an average guy. And we would go there to the restaurant and have lunch with him and dinner. And so I knew him as Jim Baker first. So that was my first introduction. My second introduction was my sister um, started working at the Source restaurant. And then I started hanging out there as well. And I got more and more drawn to that environment because it was just so fun and, and everybody was so happy and the energy was um, was so positive and beautiful in comparative to my home life. So I was gravitating towards uh, um, the restaurant for that reason initially. And then later on, it became um, converted into a commune. Yeah. So what was kind of your, your book? Uh, it, it kind of looks at the whole thing where... I mean, it seemed like you were kind of just all on board, really kind of from the the very start. So I don't know exactly how, you know, thought out this question could be. But what did you think when it started progressing into what it was? Were you just kind of full steam ahead on board? Was there ever a thought where, whoa, this is this is different? You know, he was just kind of a cool guy at a restaurant. And all of a sudden we're we're becoming something very, very different than that. Well, to be honest, it wasn't um, a quick decision by any means. Mm. Um, You know, I loved going to school. I loved learning. I loved my friends. I was um, a happy person for the most part. It's so interesting. I, this strong force inside of me literally just pulled me there because I did have a dilemma. You know, should I join you know, this communal environment, or should I stay into the world that, you know, that I was accustomed to? It was, it was difficult. It was a pull, a constant back and forth and back and forth. And literally, I I got pulled stronger to go. I think it was a destiny. It's a, It was a path that I had to go through. It, it had to have been, but it wasn't a quick decision. It wasn't easy. And at 14 years old, it's not like we're the smartest things in the world. You know, it was um, more of a, a a pull. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I think it does for sure. And I want you to kind of tell us, because I think most people are going to look at, you know, communes, all these type of things and wonder what in the world truly happens in these things. I think that's why people are so intrigued, because it's kind of a, a lot of times it's kind of a mysterious thing to most people. So at least in the early days, we can talk about later and whether it changed, but in the early days, what did it look like to be a part of this and to be kind of living together? What did a daily, the daily life look like in, in something like this? Well, uh, we would wake up at 4 a.m. every day. Uh, we did our exercises. We made our special coffee. We uh, prepared our area to sit for our morning meditation classes, which started promptly at 4.30, it was very energetic. 
It was with everybody on board and focused on doing the same thing. So it was really cool. Uh, we started off chanting while we were in our places, waiting for our leader, Father Yod at the time. He went from Jim Baker to Father Yod to Yehoah. So we had, you know, different um, time periods. So I'll just say the Father Yod, and we would chant, and we would pass around um, smoking marijuana. We would take one hit, and that was supposed to get us into that peaceful place. It was a very high experience, and the chanting on top of that just was like angels singing in heaven. It was beautiful. And then he would come, Father Yod, and he would sit at the front of the class and we would he would give a sermon, basically, lead us into a morning meditation of breathing exercises, also known as Hatha Yoga. And so he did that for probably, you know, give or take half hour, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour. And then we would all be in this incredible bliss state. And then after that, for maybe an hour of the class, he would just talk, you know, about the past, talk about his time in the war, talk about things that have happened in the world, talk about things that have come down in the family that might have been interesting, just jibber jabber pr pretty much, but fun and lots of laughter and just fun energy. It was, it was amazing. And then after class was over, um, we would, you know, I'm leaving out things because we did so many like little exercises and stuff to chanting to the sun rising, chanting to the moon. It was still dark outside so we could see all the stars. We did the star exercise. Uh, after morning meditation, everybody would gather their places, clean up. Some people would go to work at the source restaurant. Some people had other jobs. Some people would just stay at the house and do duties at the house. It was just like, like one big happy family. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of get later on kind of exactly who, who Jim Baker was, but before that, because obviously he, you know, gained a lot of, of, of people that were very interested to hear what he had to say. So I just wonder at that time, how was he gaining, you know, kind of the, the relevance, the respect of all the, all of these people, like what, I mean, a lot of these people have a, the, a cult of personality. That's kind of a, an interesting word to use, definitely given given this situation. But I'm just wondering, how did he gain so many people's respect? How many people, how did people just be like, yeah, who is this guy and why is he saying all this stuff? But it wasn't like that. So how did he gain everyone's respect? Well, that that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, he was very mesmerizing. Like he was, he had a presence about him that was magnificent. He was over six, five feet. He had the most beautiful blue eyes. He had just this gorgeous body, you know, long flowing hair. Uh, um, he spoke with such confidence. He he just had such sincerity and love. And it's like you would get, you know, hypnotized by him. It was it was pretty fascinating. Um, you know, why did such we had such different types of people that joined the family, anywhere from doctors and lawyers and musicians and family people, um, all walks of life. Very, it was, he was powerful. If you got sucked in his energy just by looking in his eyes and 
being in his presence, you were, that was it. You were, you were hooked. Yeah. So was the, you know, the, the things he was, was, you know, talking about, was it just kind of simply, where did it come from? Was it simply like just wisdom that he had? Was it, you know, ancient teachings? Was he saying that he was being talked to by some higher power or where, where was that? Yeah, he, um, I do remember him saying that he was connected with the Akashic records and that he was, you know, connected to the other side and that he, he saw things ahead of time and he did. I mean, time and time again, I think he got a lot of his teachings from Yogi Bhajan in the Sikh religion. I think he got some teachings from the professor at Rancho La Puerta who studied ancient philosophy and who was a, a philosopher. I I think he just got a little bit from here, a little bit from there. And it just sounded really good. Mm, I gotcha. And I want you to now kind of get back into to your story. And we, you know, we're talking about the early days in, in Los Angeles. Eventually, not and I and I'm kind of fuzzy a little bit on the timeline, but eventually you were moved to Hawaii and there was a kind of a big reason for that. So talk a little bit about a move your first move to Hawaii, that first one, and then kind of why you were moved there. Well, I'll, I'll first tell you why I was moved there. Um, yeah. In the book, it talks about uh, my court case and that I, you know, was taken to court by my mom because I joined the family before I graduated high school. Uh, but she didn't understand that I already graduated. You know, I got the general ed uh, diploma, but she took me to court and she lost custody of me and I became a ward of the court. And I went through a lot of trauma uh, by going to juvenile hall and then being put in a halfway house. And he actually, uh, Jim Baker, Father Yod at the time, was able to convince my counselor in the halfway house to take me to a morning meditation, uh, which he did. And that was amazing in itself. And then he basically kidnapped me and sent me away to a, a place in Idlewild, far away, and hid me out before he put me on a plane and sent me to Hawaii. I had never been on a plane before, and I was at the time 15, and I flew to Hawaii by myself and met a family member there and stayed there and waited for them to come join me. Um, it was just, it was such a traumatic experience. I can't say it enough, just what I went through in my head. And, you know, because my mother was deemed an unfit parent by the court, really pushed me wholeheartedly, 100% fully devoted into Father Yod's philosophy and commune. Hmm. Had that not happened, I don't know if I would have stayed. I might have gone for a little bit. And then I might have left. I don't know. But then that happened. So I was completely committed because now we're talking, I became a fugitive. Mm. So I really had to stay there. But I but I also wanted to, you know, but but I more than anybody else in the commune was committed because I could not leave. Yeah. Was, you, did that answer that question? Oh, for for sure. Yeah. And you I mean you mentioned it in the book too, where you know, this was this was not a, you know, a commune where people were, were trapped by any means. But has that ever played a, a part in, in your your thinking about how 
you mean you weren't necessarily trapped, but kind of given you didn't really know what the future would hold if you would have, have left. Well, I was trapped. Let's let's be real. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not sure I saw it that way at the time. I was kind of young and not as aware of, you know, what was going on. But there was there definitely was an element that I was trapped. Uh, that I had to stay, I had to stick it out. I had to do the program. So I might as well give it my hundred percent um, and just go for it. And yeah. I didn't, I couldn't really see the future. I didn't really know what was going to happen. I was just living in the now. And at that moment, you know, I devoted myself to the commune. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about kind of a, the next traumatic experience. And that was that at 16, you you became pregnant and had a child within the commune too. Talk a little bit about that, kind of how it shaped you within the commune, but then also how it kind of shaped you further in life as well, which is obviously a, a huge, huge development. Yeah, I mean, everybody was getting pregnant. Um, there were probably like four other women my age getting pregnant as well. I mean, we didn't have birth control and the whole goal of the family was to procreate and to have children and raise them properly and in in his philosophy his environment um yeah i got pregnant um not surprised uh i was scared i was you know just totally concerned about having a baby at 16. i don't think we really looked at it like maybe the real world looked at it I think it's just scary at whatever age you are to be pregnant and to have a baby. Uh, maybe I was a little more so than the norm, but yeah, that was part of it. Um, giving birth to my daughter was an incredible experience. It was 100% natural. I was surrounded by family members. Uh, Father Yod delivered her and he named her as well. And her name was Stardust. And at the time I was with Star Man. He was my man in the family. I was with them almost the entire time I was in the source commune. And it completely changed me. I mean, we're talking the party was over. It was time to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And I basically gave up that part of my life and became a full-time devoted and loving mother. Yeah. And we, we, you know, so we talked about Stardust, Star Man. I think you had two names, but I don't think we said what your, your name originally was in the commune. The original name was for two weeks. It was Lila. Okay. And then the second name for over a year until I went to Hawaii was Nirvana. Oh yeah. You've had, you had a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. I had four names. I, I wanted to say the title of the book was the girl with four names, mm. but it was taken. The girl with seven names. It's another book. It just was too close. Oh. Um, then my name became Mushroom. And Mushroom was my name for a good amount of the time in the family. I would say most of the family members know me as Mushroom. And that was kind of a hideaway name, you know, a name that, you know, when the pe when they were looking for me, the private investigators, they wouldn't be looking for a Mushroom. They would be looking for Wendy Gossard. And that name lasted a while. Um, to the last year of the Source Commune, my name was Heartstar. So it was kind of cute because it was Star Man, Heartstar, and Stardust. 
So we were a cute little family. We all had a star in our name. Yeah, it, it sounds interesting. And I, I watched a, and I didn't really ever even ask you about this, but there's a documentary. I'm, I'm sure you've watched it, right? Yeah, so I, I was at the premiere. I've seen it, definitely. Yeah, and and all of these people, I, and I, I just wonder, is anyone still using these names? Because, of course, in the documentary, like their names on there are these interesting different names. I don't assume people are still walking around with those names. They just did it for the documentary, but it made me wonder. You know, ironically so, um, a good 50% of the family members are, they have kept their Aquarian names. Oh. It's pretty fascinating. You know, we did change our names on our social security cards. So we legally changed our names. I mean, legally, my name was Mushroom Aquarian. And when I got married, I had to change it again. So, yeah, some people are still living in that whole uh, philosophy that, that we started in the Source Commune. And one, yeah. the person that wrote the documentary, her name is Isis. I don't know if that's the greatest name right now, but that's yeah. her name. And she still goes by that name. Huh. Aquarian. Isis Aquarian. Huh. So, yeah. Well, that's 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 interesting for sure. And I want to kind of get back to your story. And the thing that kind of just was interesting to me was, you know, obviously this the whole thing was about kind of being not having any ego. That was a big thing. And then kind of the meditation to it and the chanting and kind of having this set plan and all of this type of thing. But then again, your story was all over the place. You were in LA, you were in Hawaii, you were back in LA, you were back in Hawaii. Then you were homeless in San Francisco. Then you were back in Hawaii. All of these different things, you were moved around so much. That seems the least chill thing I've ever heard in my life. It's almost it, it, it's almost just tiring to even say, let alone live it. So I can't imagine trying to kind of live a, a chill life while also just being upended all the time. That seems very counterintuitive. I don't think we were ever leading a chill life. No, it was um, it was a constant roller coaster. Um, why we did all those things, you know, he he would always say that change is the only constant thing in the universe. And that we were being tested to see if we could stay out of our ego, stay out of our emotion um, while all this drama was going on around us. That's what I got from it as a youth. I'm not sure how everyone else took the constant chaos going on, but it was almost like he was doing like Qigong with all this stuff is going on around you, but yet you're keeping your center. And you're mm. keeping your peace. So there was like, you know, just constant movement. And we were never in one place for too long. We never did the same thing over and over again. It was it was wild. It was crazy. Yeah. And, you know, not being in some, a place for too long, never really doing the same thing. Obviously, the skeptic in, in anyone would say, I mean, was what do you think that he was moving you guys around kind of? to hide from something or run from something or, or, or why do you think that was the case? Or do you never really know? Well, yeah. Very um, insightful of you to say that because of course, not at the time that it was happening, but later on, I, I observed that he was 
hiding out because social services were checking him out because of all these young people that not going to school, having babies, not going to doctors, having children at home. Um, they were they were starting to check into him. And I think I think we were hiding out, but I didn't know at the time. Mm. You know, that was, you know, of course he doesn't tell you any of this, but I believe that that was the case, that that he was hiding out. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how we could hide, you know, we're all dressed in white. We all have long hair. The men have long beards, long hair, wearing robes. I don't, we really couldn't hide, but we left California for that reason. Yeah. And I want to get into kind of the, the money aspect in a moment, but that the thing that kind of, I didn't necessarily know with the book is, you know, you guys would kind of move into these big, mansions you move you were homeless in san francisco then you moved into a mansion moved into a mansion in in hawaii the only kind of insight i got was you said you guys moved out of the one in san francisco because it was sold were you guys in all of these places legally or were these abandoned mansions or what was this like um i believe we were there legally how we made money you know the source restaurant made a lot of money right so and then if you join the family you had to give up all your possessions and including finances. Mm -hmm. So people were joining that had, you know, good amount of money and they were giving it to us. And we were, you know, living off that and everybody was working um, either at the source or we had different jobs that people did. Graphic artists, we had, um, I can't remember all the different jobs, but contractors, different things. So that's how we made our money. Then, when the women started having babies, and we had a lot of them, um, when we were in Hawaii, everybody went on welfare, all the moms. So we had the welfare checks, and then we had money coming in from the sores. Even when we sold the sores, they still had to pay us, you know, a monthly fee. And we just were able to do it. Now, why we were homeless in San Francisco is beyond me. I, I've never really understood that. Um, we were trying to find a house in the city that would house all of us. Difficult, very difficult. It took about 40 days for us to find a place mm -hmm. and also who would rent to us. Mm. So yeah. we did find, yes, the houses were always big because there was 140 plus of us. Right. Yeah. So that's why that happened. Right. Now that, that makes sense. And I want to talk, you know, you've already talked about the, the charismatic side of, of Jim Baker and you, you obviously have to be to, to have created something like this, but it's also, it, it takes a very interesting type of person to, to be able to do anything like this. So I want to kind of talk a little bit more about him. Obviously we know the good, but I mean, I, I always like to address things in both ways. What's maybe the things that, that aren't so good here? Well, probably the part, um, the homeless part was bad to me. Um, you know, how he could let us all live in this. I had a baby, you know, she was not even one and living in the streets with all these people going to churches. And one of my friends, her name was white cloud in the family. She has since passed away. Um, but she had her baby in a church, like literally on the floor, like that was bad. Uh, the part that we didn't, there were many times we didn't have enough food to eat. And so we were all super thin. 
Uh, we lived off the land in Hawaii for a time, the indigenous foods of the land. I don't agree with that. I mean, we should have been fed properly. Um, he started, you know, having relationships with other women. Um, he was almost got so many of them in, in the family. Like you read the part about that he tried for me as well. Correct. And, you know, I think that that it, there was a today in today's world, he would have been deemed a child molester or what was another word for that? A predator. So, I mean, today that, that would not fly. Um, not allowing people to go to the doctors if you're really sick, I think was another bad thing. Like, you know, there are cases. He, he actually ended up dying himself because he did not go to the hospital. Had he gone to the hospital, all he had was a broken femur. And he, he basically died of shock. Mm-hmm. That's that's the reality. So, you know, and also taking women from men that were in the family that had that were married and had relationships, he would take them and he would put them into his little world. And, you know, that was difficult and not cool. What else was bad? You know, just not allowing us to fit into society, you know, being excluded from society. Hmm. There's no way it could have lasted the rate it was going. And it didn't. Right. So those are the things that I can think of off of the top of my head that were bad. So was there, how, how much, I guess, disparity was there in the group you were talking about how you sometimes didn't have enough food a lot of people were were thin were the people kind of higher up were they living that same way or were they kind of living high on the hog or was it everyone really in it together well you know i'm not 100 percent sure if um they were fed better than we were but they see it did seem that way but i'm not really completely sure about that i don't really know what went on with them because I was isolated. I was one of the youngest. I wasn't told very much. I didn't observe very much. I was quite busy being a mom and just trying to survive with my daughter. I I am suspecting that they were fed better mm-hmm. and that they were treated better, mostly after he died. When he was alive, I I, I do feel, I did get the feeling that we were all treated equally. But I'm not really sure because, you know, like I said, I was so young and not as observant and just realized really when I left the family, the situation was that we really didn't get much food. I mean, I was super thin. Everybody was, we were thin. Mm -hmm. The ones that were overweight, I mean, I don't know how that's possible. I really don't. Yeah, and I wanna kind of ask you now, about the music and I want to I, I want to kind of come to you in, in, um, with my perspective where I interview a lot of musicians and listen to a lot of different music and you know find the find the good parts of everything I've listened to this music I, I, I'm not a huge I'm not I, I don't necessarily understand it how do you feel about this music <laughs> it sounds like well, a lot of stuff happening at one time yeah, you didn't really there the, there was some really good music. Oh my god. There was some, but not recorded like 
the other stuff that you listen to at the CDs. Right. But the music with his wife, Robin, who became a home or also known as mother in the family, she was amazing. Mm. She sang like no one I've ever heard. I don't know if you've ever heard her music. And then she sang with this guy, Aladdin, um, in the family. The two of them had a duo, and his real name is Tim Guerin. If you ever listen to Tim Guerin, he has music um, out there. He's passed away, hmm. but they had. It was more like a folk music, like a Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, hmm. and their music was that was much. That was what I was attracted to, and that's what we originally listened to most of the time. And then there was another guy in the family. His name was Jin in the family, and I believe he kept his name uh, because I'm, I'm on his Facebook. And he is also amazing. And he had a band with three other guys that were also in the band with Yehoa. Um, and their music was really good. But as far as the music with Jim Baker, Father Yo, Yehoa, um, no, I didn't like it. I didn't. I didn't get it. And we focused so much on it. And and I, I didn't get it. And he didn't even he couldn't even carry a tune. Yeah. And I think it was more like rapping. So no, it's not my kind of music. I never really got it. But there was some good music. Oh, and there was another person in the family. Her name was Lovely in the family. And her real name is Alicia Previn. She was the daughter of Andre Previn. And she's playing music all over the place. She travels all over and she plays the violin and she's amazing. Mm -hmm. So that was also very cool. And then there was a couple other women in the family that sang beautifully. They, they were fabulous. I don't know if they did anything beyond the family, but they were, so there was some good, but I know what you're talking about with the gong and the drums and, Yehoah like talking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. That didn't happen until later. While I was in the family, of course, I thought it was great. But once, once I left into the real world, I was like, what, what is this? I don't get it. Yeah. Well, the, the common theme sounds like there was a lot of talented musicians around there, but yes. one person maybe muddled things up a little bit and made it not as, as cool. Yeah. That, yeah. that that that's my depiction. Right. That's the way I saw it. I'm not sure everyone saw it that way in the family, but you asked me, so that right. would be my my answer. Right. And the next question is one that you you sent me, and it has, and I've kind of tiptoed the line because I'll tell you just now. I mean, this podcast is called Not in the Huff. It's all about a very relaxed, calm conversation. It's not a gotcha type thing. So I, I, I never know exactly how to ask questions until I feel people out. Your book kind of made me more feel like you were a little bit more into it still than it does seem like that you are. So what I want to ask you too is because you wrote the word cult. I wasn't going to ever say the word cult until you mentioned it. Do you look at this as a, a cult? Yeah, that's a really good question because I know cult has a negative response. Right. Um, sure. Yeah, I don't, you know, people are calling it that. So I acknowledge it because, you know, there's a component that, oh, I was brainwashed. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a component to it that it was a cult. But 
commune is more like the way I saw it. You know, people living together, trying to lead, you know, a natural, healthy life with organic food, vegetarian. You know, you don't cut your hair. You live a natural, you know. So that leans more to towards a commune for me. So it's other people that seem to label it as a cult. Because mm -hmm. we were all together doing this unique thing away from society. So yeah, it's 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 a gray area. Well, I mean, I, I my interpretation, how I would kind of split them is a commune is people living together, kind of sharing things together. A call is when you break into a call is a little bit of having one person that people are very dedicated to and that would basically give up everything for. That's when you start getting into a cult. And there's a lot of people that take that and make it a very negative thing. I mean, look at some of the cults that literally had all their members kill themselves for the cult. So that's right. where we have to kind of figure out how devoted do you think everyone was to Jim Baker if he would have taken it in a very evil way? Do you think people would have followed? Um, I know I would not have um, if it went to in an evil direction yeah we were pretty devoted in following him so but he didn't ever lead us in a in a way that we would hurt ourselves that's even debatable actually yeah it's uh, we're never gonna know it you know when when he died it ended so you know i just i don't know what would have happened i would like to think that i was intelligent enough to not follow him not, you know, that I'd grow out of the whole thing. Not sure about everybody else. Some people were, would have done anything. So do you kind of looking back at all of it, do you look at it as a, a, a positive experience, a negative experience, a more gray area where you're kind of cherry picking the good and the bad or, or overall, where, where are we looking at this as? I would say 75% of it was a positive experience. And 25% of it was a negative experience. It was traumatic. And, you know, that's in my book, the traumatic things that happened, you know, that left a mark on me. But most of it was positive. But yeah, there were some bad things, you know, that happened. I mean, you read it, you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of the things that happened to me um, made me stronger, made me a better person made me more compassionate. I'm definitely compassionate to homeless people. You know, you, you become homeless and you understand, you know, what it's like. I, I learned what I don't want to do. I learned, you know, that I, that I am going to go to the doctors if something's wrong with me. And I, I learned, it kind of taught me that, that there's, you can heal yourself naturally but there's also the other side. You might need help. So I always like to weigh the two things. I don't jump to medication. Um, I try to do it natural first. And then, of course, if that doesn't work, I have that alternative. Um, I am not a vegetarian anymore. Uh, that didn't work for me. I'm very athletic. I love tennis. I love cycling. And the being a vegetarian, I didn't have enough energy. I didn't have enough strength and endurance. So that's something that I don't continue doing. 
I don't wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Mm. <laughs> um, I will never do that again. Yeah. That I was so tired. I think I was sleep deprived. And maybe that kept me in a state of euphoria. I don't know. But no, I no longer wake up at 4.30. I wake up at 6.30, 7, if I want, 10, you know. Um, I do still eat organic foods. I still do believe in eating, you know, healthy, you know, vegetables, fruits, and I'm not a big sugar eater. So sugar is, was an evil in the commune. Mm. We stayed away from sugar completely. I mean, I had no sugar for five years. Mm. Think about it. I had no meat for five years, no fit, no poultry. We did towards the end start incorporating fish that we caught, that the fishermen and the family caught. That was helpful. So there's some good things. Meditation, I do meditate. I don't really chant anymore. Um, but I do breathing exercises. The Hatha yoga, it's, it's yoga of the breath. We used to do a lot of yoga in the family. I don't do so much yoga. My body just doesn't handle it very well. So yeah, there was just some good stuff and some not so good stuff that I've taken from it. I don't follow, you know, his philosophy like some people, you know, have continued to do. I'm I'm leading a more, you know, normal fit into society kind of lifestyle. Although today, had he done these things today, they would have been much more accepted, you know, in our world today, especially in California. I don't know where you're living, but everybody in California is either vegan, vegetarian, they all do yoga, they all meditate, they all, you know, it's so crazy. We we would be totally cool with what's going on now. Yeah. Well, I'm in Indiana, so a little bit different than California. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? You're in Indiana? I am, yes. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. so great. I want to ask you, kind of just in wrapping up the Jim Baker part of it, is the thing that kind of just really, I guess, grabbed me in the book was kind of the group think of things. And that's it was almost his demise. You, you, you mentioned that about how he got into an accident. Was it, was it paragliding? Is that what it was? Hand gliding. Hand gliding. So he got into an accident, hand gliding wrecked broke broke a part of his back and nobody really could make a decision on what to do to really help him and that's almost what what made him perish so i thought that was so interesting that kind of following those teachings of being you know such a group think such a kind of not making true decisions was almost why he didn't survive i agree with that and i i think it's baffling to me that those women couldn't think for themselves and sent him to the hospital because his teachings were that unless you break a bone, you don't go to the hospital. How would they know he didn't break a bone if they didn't go to the hospital? So I was very uh, al alarmed by, by their uh, naiveness, their, uh, yeah, I, I almost, it's hard to forgive them for what they did. Um, you know, because when you're in pain and you're on the floor like that and you can't think for yourself, someone needs to think for you and to make decisions. And they were a mess. Now, there were about three of the council women 
that were begging to take him to the hospital. And these other women wouldn't, would not let them. And one of them was his wife, Robin. I'm not sure who the other two were, but I want to say heaven was one of them. And I can't, I don't know who the third one was, but they literally said, no, his teachings are that you don't go to the hospital unless you break a bone. And they, I don't think anyone dreamed in a million years that he was going to die that day. I think it was a shock. Yeah. And that also kind of made me more wonder, you know, when we were talking earlier, debating the Carlton commune side of things, I feel like if it was a complete commune, just losing that one person wouldn't have been as detrimental because it was just a total group thing. But given how reliant everyone was on that one certain person, that's why it feels a little bit more potentially culty, which doesn't have to be a negative thing. A lot of them are negative for sure, but that's, that's, that's where that debate I feel like is. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. That's why I said, you know, there's an element of cult there, you know, Mm -hmm. because we did follow him. We were devoted and thank God he was, you know, a good person basically. And yeah, it's, it's, um, it's so crazy to think back. I was so traumatized by his death. I've never felt that way before. Like I was completely in love with him as a father and devoted. And it was very painful that, that whole situation. Yeah. And in the book, you mentioned it a long time ago when we first started talking about how you first kind of started getting interested in Jim Baker, the source family restaurant was you met a a boy named Bart and that was Jim Baker's son. And it blew my mind in this book that in the very, you know, what eventually happened was you married Bart, you married Jim Baker's son. You know, you're, we're talking to you as Wendy Baker, which is an interesting thing. I, I just can't imagine that, that dynamic. I mean, we talked about how devoted you were to this guy. I, I, I just can't imagine the dynamic now of having basically been so devoted to your husband's father, your, your, what would have been your father-in-law. That just seems so weird. What's that like? I feel like that. It's just, that's weird. He, now he wasn't a big, he wasn't a part of it. So he, his mom kind of had taken him off and they weren't doing the same thing, which makes it even more interesting that you had lived so much more of a life with his dad at that point than he had. It's just a weird thing to me. And I, I don't know, I don't know how you guys have navigated. You've been 44 years, so you're doing something right. But just talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, when I when I met Bart again, um, you know, I've just always been in love with him, you know, at 12. But at 12, you can't, you know, you don't understand the feeling. So mm-hmm. we were separated. You know, I joined his dad's family, his commune. It was interesting because that's a big chunk of his dad that Bart doesn't didn't know much about. Hmm. So I've been able to fill in and, you know, tell him about his dad as a spiritual leader and what Hmm. what we went through and what we did. Um, So that's kind of cool. Bart is so completely different than his dad. He has his same magnetism and his same confidence. It's unbelievable, but he's devoted, you know, to one woman. He's He's uh, an incredible provider. 
He's just an honest, hardworking, responsible person. He knows how to treat a woman. He's just everything that that a woman could ask for. He's, you know, I've I'm I've been happy every day of my life being married to him. We have three beautiful children. He he adopted Stardust. Uh, she got the name Jamie uh, when she went to high school, and we've raised a, you know a beautiful, normal, somewhat normal family. How we navigated through it, I mean, you know, it's just love. I guess we just really love each other, and we just have this great life together. Um, he loved his dad so much. He had, you know, his dad was amazing to him up until they got a divorce when he was. I think he was 12 when they got the divorce. So he tried to have a relationship with him while he was a spiritual leader, but it it started off being okay the first year or two, but then when we moved to Hawaii, basically was over the relationship. Mm. So he has a lot of hurt feelings. He was pretty traumatized um losing his dad. He looking back at it, you know, he understands, but as a young person, it was difficult. And I got to know his mom really well because being married to him, his mother, Elaine Baker, who was an amazing woman in her own right, you know, she was married to Jim Baker for 15 years. They had those three boys. They went through a lot together. Um, and then when Bart and I got married, shortly after we got married, probably about I don't know, five years after into our marriage, she moved in with us. Mm. So she lived with us until she died. So I got to know her really well. And she was incredible. She's such an amazing person. Um, yeah, I don't know how it all worked out and why it worked out like this, but it did. Yeah, I think that's really amazing. And I've, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for, for Bart in the situation because I do feel like you would have you know, a lot of animosity, a lot of hurt feelings about what exactly transpired. And then to add on to that, a lot of the things that transpired and the negatives that happened, it wasn't just to some random people that, you know, his dad might have, have hurt. It was now the person that he is married to. So there's just so much a deeper feeling to it. I just can't imagine. I, I feel like he has to lot of, have a a lot of mental fortitude to have been able to to handle it all, frankly. Yeah, well, I think that he was the best person for me, too, because I could talk to him about it mm -hmm. because he understood. I mean, I don't know. It would be hard to be married to somebody who wouldn't understand what I've been through and what I've done and be supportive. He's mm -hmm. so supportive and he understands. And, you know, he's sad about some of the things that his his dad did to some of the people in the family, you know, like the women aspects and, you know, just the stuff that I went through. He, you know, he's, he's unhappy that that happened, but in the long run, it turned out. Okay. I mean, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked it all out. I, you know, I didn't really talk about it for a long time. Um, I did talk to Bart about it, but I didn't talk to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of like my therapy in a way. Mm -hmm. no, and I, I, I worked it out. It's, it was, it, you know, all I could say is, is that it must be just the kind of person that I am, that I'm able to put my experience in its right place. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I want you to kind of talk about you, know, you, you left the family kind of as it was falling apart after 
Jim Baker passed away. I want you to kind of talk because that was 40 plus years ago. So talk about life, life since then, what you've been up to and starting, starting that conversation on what it was like transitioning out of the world that you were living into the regular world. I don't remember. What's the, what's the word? Piscean, Piscean world. Yeah. Piscean Maya or the Maya. <laughs> yeah. So interesting question. Well, it was really hard for me to leave Starman, who was the father of my child, mm-hmm. because I felt that I had to stay with him, even though I didn't love him. And it was very difficult to leave him. That was the first hurdle. But I, there was one of the guys in the family, his name was Sir Knight in the family. And now his name is Peter. His real name is Peter Tobin. He kind of, he rescued me. And I was able to, once again, run away uh, with him. And he, he was my transition of leaving the, the source commune and going into the real world. So that was how that worked. The transition took probably 10 years. Mm. I mean, I stayed a vegetarian for a really long time, and I did not cut my hair for a really long time. It was very difficult for me to be okay with all of that because it was so ingrained in me that you just, you don't do that. That's not good for you. Mm. So it it took me a while. Um, Even while married to Bart, I was still transitioning. I was still very hesitant getting married because I couldn't imagine that he would be a one woman, one man kind of guy when his father wasn't. Mm. So that was difficult too. But I had faith that I was doing the right thing. I felt guided that I was doing the right thing. Um, The transition was slow, very, very slow. I mean, I was still meditating. I was still doing a lot of the things that we did in the source family, you know, and then I finally slowly started to get rid of a few of the things. I cut my hair. I had a hamburger once at, at Nepenthes and Big Sur. And I thought I died and went to heaven. I was like, (laughs) Oh my God, this is what I've been missing. This is amazing. So then I started eating, you know, I've never really been a big meat eater, but I did start eating, you know, like poultry and sometimes hamburgers. I love them. And I'd say today I still eat pretty healthy. I'm pretty good about that. Yeah, it was hard. Some people never transitioned out. Some people still are exactly doing the same thing and believe that that's the way it should be. Mm. Yeah, you, um, I mean, you've you've talked about a lot of different people from the family and you, you seem to kind of know what's, still up with some of them. So, I mean, is it, do you still have a relationship with a lot of people from this world or is it something you had to remove yourself from completely? No, I actually, um, we've been through a lot together. We call each other brothers and sisters and we've been through so much together and, and they're amazing and I love them. And I have a relationship with most of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very few people that I would say I don't. Um, I receive blessings from all of them to write this book and write my story. I have relationships with quite a few of them. I was just, I just got back from Washington in Seattle where uh, Peter lives, Sir Knight. And, you know, I still have my relationship with him. I, I'm grateful to him for, 
getting me out of the source family and transitioning me. I have a relationship with Peralda, whose real name is Elizabeth. She was the astrologer. She's my best friend. I love her. And I have a relationship with Dawn, who is um, one of the women in the in the council. I've talked to Makushla. I, you know, Robin, who is um, who is his wife. I don't have much of a relationship with her, but I adore her, but she's unreachable. But her daughter, Celeste, is my sister-in-law. She's Jim Baker's daughter also. I have a, a very deep relationship with her. So, and then my sister, um, who was blessing in the Source family, who joined before me, who is on the book cover with me. That's my sister behind me. Mm. Um, and her name is Marcy, and we're very, very close. And her daughter, who was born also in the commune, Amanda, um, is my niece, and we're very close. Mm. And so there's just, it goes on and on. I, I've, I have a lot of relationships still with a lot of people. That's that's really good. And, that, and the extra layer to it, given that you're you're married to Bart, and, you know, you just talked about Jim, having a lot of different women was, did he have a lot of children? Did, do you have a lot of, does he have a lot of step or step half siblings or, or did that not happen? You talked no, about one does. already. Yeah, he does. He has uh, three that were born in the source family. And then he has another one that no two, two or three. He had three that Jim Baker had children before he got married to his mom so there's there's quite a few children out there that are haves. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have a relationship with Chris. She was born before he married Elaine. His one daughter died. I don't know her name. I want to say Katie. Um, he had a son named Michael, who's a psychologist, who we don't really have a relationship with. But, you know, like we saw him 10 years ago, you know, mm -hmm. he came over. And we don't have a relationship with Buttercup, <laughs> who was born in the family. Uh, we don't, we have here and there, in and out, had a relationship with Yod, who was born in the family. But right. Celeste or Ta was her name. We do have a relationship with. So, yeah, he, he had, uh, let's see, six. He had probably nine children, hmm. all in all. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's it, a lot. Yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. Um, I'm glad to hear that you have a relationship with with so many people from from that world. I think it probably is has helped not just shutting it all down and realizing that you know you all experienced it together. So what better people to to speak with than people that had uh, kind of shared the, that same journey? So I, I like to hear that. I want to move on into what made you decide to write this book. We're talking because you did write a book about the experience something that a lot of people should look at because it's a, it's an amazing book. So I want to know what made you decide to write it. Well, originally I wrote the book for my three children. I wanted to leave them a legacy. I wanted them to know what made me and what I've been through, but then it turned out to be, you know, I want to, I want people to know what my story is. I think that it's an outrageous story of courage and strength and that, somebody can go through something like this and still achieve great things and, and become okay. Like we don't have to define ourselves by tra traumatic experiences. 
Mm-hmm. We can learn from them. We can grow from them. And I hope, I'm hoping that it will help, you know, some women that are out there going through some tough times. You know, that, that's what it evolved into. Also, I think it's just a great story. I mean, it, it has to be told. It's, it's too good. It's like, it's, it would be selfish of me to not write this down mm-hmm. and let people read it. Yeah. So did you find writing it to be, you know, a, a therapeutic experience? Did you find it to be a, a chore? Did you find it to be traumatizing writing it? What, how did, uh, how was that process for you? It was, it was very emotional. A lot of it, especially writing about my mom and what I went through very difficult. I couldn't even write the book until she passed away. Um, even though, you know, you know, the ending, but it was, it was very emotional writing it every writing session that I had, I, I would have to just stop and, and, and not talk and, and curl up and just, you know, try to process it. Um, it, it was never a chore, but it was um, very emotional. It was very difficult. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. And you you talked about how you wrote it for your kids, and you, that they didn't know much about this world before that. I I can't imagine that. You know, I talked to I've talked to tons of authors that have written about their lives, and it was about you know like I talked to somebody who was a, a firefighter in the forest fires and did amazing things there. And their family ha- didn't know that much about it. What did your kids think about when when they heard this? I can't imagine. Just that would be so shocking. If did they truly not know anything about any of this, or they just didn't know the details? They just didn't know the details. They knew that I was in a commune with their grandfather, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they knew, you know, that we were vegetarians. They knew all the minimal stuff, stuff that you know wasn't going to freak them out. They did mm-hmm. not know details. Um, each one of my kids, you know, reacted differently. My oldest daughter, Stardust or Jamie, um, you know, she had no idea what I went through and that her biological dad, you know, my relationship with him, it was really cool for her to, to know what our relationship was like and what we went through. So she, she liked it. Um, you know, she's so not even in a world of a communist commune type. She's as straight as can be, you know, she's a teacher. Yeah. So she was, she was okay. She gave me her blessings. My middle daughter, Amber was very intrigued by it. Uh, she also has the gift of being um, part of the channeled with the Akashic records like he did. So she also has that gift that she can relate to the other side and she can communicate. So she inherited that from Jim Baker. She's got a lot of his qualities. Uh, she's very successful at channeling. Uh, she's her name is Malibu Medium, and she's you know world known, and she's she's amazing. Mm. And my son was more like, "Gosh, mom, I can't believe you know you hitchhiked all over the place and you smoked pot and you you know didn't graduate high school like everybody else, and you made me you know go to college and finish high school and." you know, lead this very disciplined life. Mm. He was shocked. He was just like, I can't believe it. But at the same time, he was in awe about it. Now I think he looks at me differently. 
he thinks I'm the cool mom, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So they, you know, the kids, you know, they, they were, they all read it and they were very blown away by it. So I still hear about it today, you know, them asking me questions, things that I went through. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's now I'm out in the open to the world. So it's kind of cool to let it all out and not hold it all inside. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, obviously this is a commune is a, a huge stretch from, from any normal life, but I just wonder once people read about it that maybe didn't know, maybe friends, other family members, that kind of thing, how much of it was a stretch for, for everyone, like the life that you've lived since then. I mean, is it in this world, you know, you, you talked about, wearing dresses, not cutting your hair and, and barely wearing shoes. I mean, throughout the rest of your life, have you been more of a kind of a, a, a more of a, I, I guess, I just wonder if people were just utterly shocked because you've spent your life in, in pants suits and being super serious or people are like, that's very interesting. I'm shocked, but I can kind of see it because she is kind of a, a free thinker if you hear what i'm i'm trying to say how truly shocked was everybody they are truly shocked truly shocked (laughs) nobody could see it yeah everybody was blown away and they just they they're almost they can't believe it they almost don't think it's real Hmm. no i'm not i there's nothing about me that really resembles that i was in a commune Uh definitely i mean i'm a tennis player i'm athletic um, you know, I'm, I own a business, I'm a businesswoman. Um, you know, I'm successful, you know, it's, there's no hippie in there. You know, they couldn't see the hippie in there. Yeah. Flower child. And, you know, I had a, I had a book signing event at somebody hosted at their house, one of my friends, and it was with 30 plus people. And they were all my closest friends and they all kept saying over and over again, I, I just can't believe that that you did this and we didn't know anything about it. <laughs> this is so crazy. So yeah, that's my that's what more me. Yeah. Well that's that's that has to be an interesting world for you to now to be kind of open about it all. I, I, I yeah, I mean I, I can't imagine all that. And I want you to tell us you I mean you kind of I think you've kind of answered it now, given that where you are now is a, a totally different place. Um, and, and obviously age comes with experience and you've got a lot more things on your plate, but do you think looking back, if you would have maybe had the, the insight that you have now, no one can really ever say this. Do you think this is something that would have happened again? Do you think you would have done this all over again? No, I don't think I would have. I I don't, I, I often wonder, you know, how I was pulled to doing it. I, I really, I would never have thought in a million years that I would have done something like this. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would not. I wouldn't want to do this again. Yeah. I, I don't know how some of the people that joined the commune in the, in their upper twenties and thirties and took this on. I I'm baffled by that. You know, I mean, I can see a young kid, you know, it's fun, you know, the whole thing. And, but no, not not as an adult. I, I don't see it personally. Right. No, I, I, I hear that and I understand that. I want you to tell us how we can find the book. Remind us what it's called 
and how people can find it and how people can connect with you as a, as a whole, if you have other connection points. <laughs> can you see it? Yeah. My name was Mushroom. Where can we find hey, it? My name was Mushroom. My life is a teenage runaway in the Source Family Commune. And they can get it on Amazon. And it comes in a hardback, in a paperback. It comes on Kindle. And it also comes in Audible. Mm. And I actually narrated it. So I read the whole book um, so you can get it that way too. It's also being sold. um, We're we're not in Indiana yet, (laughs) (laughs) but we're all over California and Washington and we're moving into Oregon now, but we're in a lot of Barnes and Nobles, a lot of independent um, stores. I don't know if Chelsea told you, but we're in like like over 60 stores that you can buy it. Um, but Amazon is for sure. So all four avenues. Yep. Amazon. Yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I really, really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I enjoyed it and, you know, kudos for you for bringing out all of us interesting people in the world. Absolutely. So that was Wendy Baker and interesting. She certainly was really appreciated her time, learned so much. It was just a fascinating story of, of, uh, you know, something that a lot of, a lot of people have, uh, have not went through and, and definitely have not, uh, you know, been willing to, to share at this level. I think that she provided a really true, honest look at, at what her time was like. Just, I, I thought too, that it was really interesting just to hear how much your life has changed, you know, these people that she's friends with now, close with now, once the story came out, once the book came out, they were just shocked to learn. So it just shows how much different Wendy Baker is today than Wendy Gossard was at 14 when she joined this this uh, this family. I, I hope that you learned so much. I hope that uh, you have a better understanding of the Source family. I think it's certainly a, a group that not as many people know about as some of of the others and and frankly some of the others have so much notoriety because that uh that leader did some some very unfortunate things you know there's a lot of leaders who drove their people to commit murder or kill themselves so that was not what happened here i will let you decide what with what did happen whether you you think it was just a uh happy-go-lucky commune or whether you think that it uh, was a cult um i I, you know i i think that that can can be debated pretty pretty easily um i i urge you to check out her book as well my name was mushroom a fascinating read i read it in in two days preparing for this interview and uh it it gives so much more detail than of course what we were able to to get to today I I this I had so much fun speaking with with Wendy. She's she's such an amazing person. Um, in kind of the lead up of getting this interview out, because I interviewed her probably about a month ago. Just the conversations I've had with her since then, and and with her assistant Chelsea has been nothing short of of uh, gracious and and welcoming. And she's she's just an amazing person. I'm 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 really excited for you uh, to hear this as well. So. The link to her book is going to be in the show notes. Check that out. Um, of, of course, if this is the first time you've listened to us, thank you for being here. Hope you check out some of the other episodes because I've interviewed so many amazing people. 
Go look at go look at them in Apple. Go look at them on Spotify. And while you're there, leave that five star review on an Apple and on Spotify. If you're listening on Apple, you can also leave a written review. Really would appreciate that. Go follow us on Instagram, Not Enough Podcast. There's a Facebook group, Not Enough with Jackson Huff, thejacksonhuff.com. A lot of places to uh, to follow along. A lot of amazing guests still to come. Uh, every Wednesday these come out. So for, for my loyal listeners, thank you for being here. For those who are just finding this, thanks for thanks for coming this week and, and hope to see you in another week or see you in the past for some of those uh, previous interviews. So thank you, Wendy. Thank you, listeners. And uh, take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.